I really think we need more examples of just this applied geophysics here. This is a problem that we had. This is how we use geophysics to solve it. And this is why we use geophysics. Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off, in-depth conversations in applied geophysics. For this episode, I speak with Adam Mangel on June's The Leading Edge, highlighting near-surface geophysics. Adam explains the reasons to study the near surface, why it applies to a wide range of professionals, the practical applications for the field, and why more students should look to near surface geophysics for their future. For Adam's full biography, read the show notes for this episode at seg.org slash podcast. The show notes will also link to the articles Adam and I discuss. Subscribers can read the full articles in the SEG library and everyone can read the abstracts for free. Now for our conversation. We are hearing a lot more about near surface and geophysics. What is near surface geophysics and how does it relate to the applied geophysics field in general? Oh yeah, Andrew. So I'm really happy to hear that first of all, that that we're making some noise in the larger SEG community. And there's a a slew of people that I would like to thank for that. Uh, Primarily uh, Steve Sloan, who served as the assistant editor and Steve Brown, who served as the editor-in-chief uh, for this special section, but also um, Sarah Morton, Rupert, uh, Lori Whitesell, Niels Groby, uh, Jose Arche, and Paul Cunningham, uh, who wrote up an excellent piece for the beginning of this special section that details kind of all the stuff that we do in near-surface geophysics. Near-surface geophysics, to me, is really about the application of geophysical methods and tools to further understand and optimize human interaction with the planet. I suppose you could say that about most of the geosciences, uh, but whether the application is archeology, span infrastructure, environmental, uh, it seems that there's always some kind of first order human aspect of the work. Of course, the common thread in all geophysics, which is probably the most valuable aspect, that's currently being realized in the near surface community is that we're trying to study some target in a relatively non-invasive way while simultaneously reconciling a suite of data constructed from direct measurements. And as far as this relates to applied geophysics, I I typically like to reserve the term applied for practical applications of well-developed methods. And there's really a good mix of of applied and uh, more complex work in this special issue. Uh, so the paper by uh, von der Austin Voldenberg on uh, using magnetics and GPR for archaeology, or the paper by Morgan et al. on resistivity and SP looking at groundwater, I would call those really applied near-surface geophysics uh, works. But the papers by Diamanti and Annan and Pugin et al. are beyond applied and closer to the development side of things, where they're exploring method and tool development as a means of providing a better near-surface product to the applied geophysics field. Yeah, kind of going off that, the range of uses of near-surface geophysics stretches very far, as you just mentioned. There's also a a paper about a 12th century abbey trying to discover clandestine tunnel systems. So how would would you help guide a professional focus maybe on a specific area to benefit from reading such a wide range of topics in the field? We definitely do a lot of interesting things here in the near-surface field. The lesson or the benefit that I see in the breadth of the applications in this issue for somebody in the professional world 
is, is to take a look at all these really important problems that we can tackle with geophysics. Uh, a lot of times, uh, geophysics might get used here and there, and it's kind of iffy on how it's gotten used and what the deliverable really was, but there's such a wide application of different geophysical methods, and no geophysical tool or method works everywhere for every problem. So maybe somebody takes a look at, a look at this issue and says, hey, this resistivity hasn't really been working for me. Maybe I need to take a look at seismic or, or radar or something else. But this is actually kind of an issue for us in the near-surface world, I think. Uh, so something really important that I want to mention here is that uh, the, the use of the term near-surface geophysics as an index term, the diversity of projects and methods within the field is so diverse that it's important for authors when they publish to include this term near-surface geophysics so that you can be recognized as somebody who's practicing near-surface geophysics. And this is just because Near surface really means different things to different people. I primarily use ground penetrating radar. So, you know, very often I'm talking about the upper 10 meters of the subsurface, but somebody who's doing near surface seismic reflection work may be looking thousands of meters down and consider that to be near surface. So uh, it's really important to include this term uh, in our work and then also focus in on uh, more detailed parts of what your research is. So if you're doing ERT or doing seismic or something like this, but always include that near surface term. You know, you had mentioned earlier that near surface is uses non-invasive methods a lot of the time. You know, why is the near surface of the earth, it's called the critical zone in the introduction, so important to study and understand? Yeah, I was uh I was kind of apprehensive about putting this term into an SEG publication because I think it's not really recognized as uh, something that's really important to us as human beings. So the, the critical zone in general is, is the primary zone in which humans interact with the planet. So everything from the tops of the trees to the bottom of the deepest groundwater uh, resource. And we use this layer for various reasons. I always like to tell people who aren't really sure about what the critical zone is and how important it is to us that it's basically the layer of the earth where we simultaneously store our waste, grow our food, and extract our water. So understanding the complexities of this zone is critically important to the sustainability of our relationship with the world and the earth, and also, you know, very important to our existence as a whole. So you know, people are always working on on ways of trying to study this zone with geophysics, and and you may run into a more traditional person that's not really keen on geophysics because it gives you this blurry image. Uh, but we always need to be, you know, improving ways of focusing in that blurry image so that we can deliver this product to somebody who might not be familiar with how geophysics works. That's kind of a good tie-in to Morgan et al.'s paper looking at a housing development proposed in St. Lucia that was using a lot of practical uses of near surface to help uh, really kind of a housing development and the public understand what they were finding. Could you highlight what the authors set out to do and how using near surface helped them reach their own recommendations? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was really happy to see uh, a hydrogeophysics paper make it into the submission for this special issue because that's my own world. The problem the authors we're dealing with here is really one of uh, fate and transport of solutes from a proposed residential area into a local water supply. So 
some distance up gradient from a local uh, natural spring, some builders were introducing the idea of building a housing development or some kind, kind of construction project on this site. And the people managing the water were really concerned about what does this mean long term for the uh, quality of our water resources, if not the quantity as well. Because you can get people, you know, applying fertilizers to their ground to make the grass greener or, you know, maybe they have um, septic tanks installed in this area as well. So you have a lot of potential contamination hazards for the water resource that is that seem to be pretty important uh, from what the authors wrote in the paper. So they used electrical resistivity tomography um, to kind of get the larger structures of the subsurface, learn about the hydrogeologic geometry of the different units in the system, and then also used uh, Archie's law to look at porosity variability within the subsurface for those different hydrogeologic units. Uh, So they kind of built a geometry with the resistivity, but then also used SP or self-potential or spontaneous potential, depending on what school you went to. They also use that to try and infer groundwater flow direction. So not only did they get some underlying structure of the system, they were also able to speak about how the groundwater was flowing through that system, which is very important in understanding how that groundwater system could potentially interact with the proposed housing development. It seems like drones are becoming more and more popular these days. We had a special section kind of looking at uh, UAVs and, and other similar, similar machines. How did Nikulin at all utilize these autonomous unmanned aerial vehicles, other, otherwise known as drones, technology in New York State? Yeah, so uh, that paper was specifically using a magnetometer strapped to an aerial drone uh, to basically perform a magnetic survey over a large area as a means of identifying an oil and gas well. Um, I'm pretty sure they used a site where they knew there was an oil and gas well because the study was looking at uh, how to optimize survey parameters with this new drone technology for their magnetic survey. So they looked at like flight altitude and to see how that affected the inversion of their magnetic data and identifying this well um, in the hopes of, you know, taking that technology and trying to find these orphaned oil and gas wells that are maybe hidden from site and you can no longer see the drill pad or anything like this. So they can identify these potentially hazardous wells. We have, uh, you have in this special section, there are five total papers. Did a particular application of near surface stand out to you from one of the papers? You know, I'm traditionally a geologist in, in training. I came through a traditional geology program. But as far as uh, the breadth of papers goes in this issue, I really always love the archaeological applications, and I don't know why that is necessarily. I guess I'm just intrigued by the historical aspect of it all, but maybe it's more that the targets are typically less than a meter deep and stretch over a really long area. So what you see a lot in these papers is a 2D or a 3D plot of the data, and the structured nature of the target typically stands out like a sore thumb in the data. Uh, you know, due to the strikingly non-geologic appearance of it, making it really easy to distinguish. So, you know, I've I've worked on a couple of these projects before, and when you see the data and these things just stick out like crazy, it's 
it's a really a beautiful application of geophysics that produces these amazing pictures that I've shown to some people and they think that it's an aerial photo. Wow. Where would you like to see the the subject of near surface go in the next six to 12 months? I mean, as far as the subjects go, I think we just need to keep doing what we're doing. What I would love to see, especially in publications like The Leading Edge, where you have these kind of short write-ups that aren't too technically involved, um, I'd like to see more practicing professionals that are out there using near-surface geophysical methods writing about their their work. And it's not always the easiest thing because you have, you know, clients that are maybe not willing to share the data or, or whatever, but there's plenty of academics that are out here doing near-surface research, but maybe not wanting to publish in, in the leading edge. Uh, they go for maybe something a little more technical, whether that's, uh, you know, the geophysics journal or something else. But we need to have that back end of everything where you see the real-world applications to engineering problems uh, with a tool that, that maybe some people are familiar with to really give students kind of some direction. Like, hey, look, at there's, you know, here's this guy that's been out there working for 10 years, and he's using this geophysical method that you've learned all about. Maybe you could go and get a job and start doing that. You don't need to necessarily continue on in your geophysical career you know, as a PhD or something like that. That's, I really think we need more examples of just this applied geophysics here. This is a problem that we had. This is how we use geophysics to solve it. And this is why we use geophysics. If a a student or or even a professional new to near-service geophysics is reading this special section and is intrigued by what they're reading about and want to learn more what would you recommend as some good next steps in the future to get involved more with near surface? Uh, yeah, so that's a great question, Andrew, because uh, we have a ton of really amazing people that that help put this, not only put this uh, special section together, but also put together a great near surface program every year at SCG and plenty of uh, opportunities uh, through the near surface technical section of the SCG. Uh, so I would encourage those people to get involved with SEG and the near surface technical section, um, you know, you have to pay to be a member to SEG, but you can be affiliated with uh, the near surface technical section at no additional cost. You know, last year at the SEG meeting in Anaheim, we hosted three panel discussions, one on groundwater, uh, one on careers in near surface geophysics, and one on geophysics in the coastal zone. We had nine oral sessions, six poster sessions, three special sessions, and then three workshops. This year, we're already working on a panel on solving engineering problems with near-surface geophysics, which could be uh, particularly attractive to some of the professionals listening to the podcast. Um, And you can reach out to the near-surface executive committee folks. uh, If you just want to send an email, it's just ns, as in near-surface, at seg.org. We also have a website that's hosted by the SEG which is just seg.org forward slash ns. What do you hope readers of this special section take away from it? I guess all I hope, if, you know, if somebody's reading this special section that's, that's maybe new uh, in general to the field, you know, I would encourage them to, to make some noise and, and let them be heard and, and make sure that people that are doing near-surface geophysics or 
part of the near surface geophysics community, make sure these people know your name because not only will this help you in the long run and getting work potentially, or um, it'll help those people, you know, come to the larger committee and, and tell them like, Hey, we have all these people out here that are near doing near surface geophysics. We need to have this organization together. And this is what we need to be doing in this organization so that these people are benefiting and near surface geophysics is benefiting. Do you have any final words for the listeners? Final words is, you know, I would, if you're a member of SEG and kind of curious about, uh, you know, how these things get applied, how near surface geophysics gets applied to different problems. Uh, we have uh, the 2019 virtual near surface global lecturer, Rosemary Knight, uh, is going to be giving a talk on October 9th, 2019 at 7 p.m. Pacific time, uh, entitled Advancing the Use of Geophysical Methods for Sustainable Groundwater Management. We have conference coming up next year, uh, GPR 2020, which is going to primarily focus on the near surface geophysical applications of ground penetrating radar. That's going to be June 14th to 19th uh, next year at the Colorado School of Mines here in Golden, Colorado. You'll see a call for abstracts come out for that next month. And, you know, at the end of it all, I guess I'd just like to thank all of the authors that submitted papers to this special section, uh, Alex Nikulin, Harold von der Austin Voldenberg, Andre Pugin, Nectaria Diamanti, and Frank Dale Morgan. Um, without, without those people submitting their work, this near-surface special section of the leading edge wouldn't, wouldn't be in existence. So, And it wouldn't have got printed if you didn't help volunteer your time along with Steve Sloan and others to, to make it work and edit it. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. This special section was a, a joy to read. This subject is is fascinating to a, a non-geophysicist like myself. So thanks for speaking with me on it today. Yeah, you're you're welcome, Andrew. Thanks for putting the podcast together. I think these kind of media are really important uh, moving forward. People can just tune in and, and kind of listen to what's going on. I agree as well. So <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for doing this and uh, thanks for setting time out, Adam. You're welcome, Andrew. Please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this episode. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to our website at seg.org podcast to find all our episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Crockett, Allie McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.